Monday morning. Then we read this verse, this passage, and talked about it. And I'm going to review just a little bit. But in, uh, in Matthew 6, beginning about in verse uh, 24, he talked about, Jesus talked about that you cannot serve two masters. Is that true? No man, nobody can do it, can serve two masters. And then he began to say down in verse 25, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat or drink or your body, what you're going to put on. He said it again in verse 28, why take thought for clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil not, neither do they spin. I say to you that even Solomon, somebody say even Solomon. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. All of the people without not without covenant, not in covenant with God, not in faith uh, in Jesus, not in Christ by faith in Him, are seeking all these things. How to make a living, how to get set to retire, how to do what you want, get what you need, seeking these things. Are we supposed to be seeking these things? He said, but you seek, we're not to seek that, we are to seek what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. He said, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Is that true? Yes. How many believe Matthew 6.33? Yes. Come on, sit out loud with me. Seek ye first, Seek ye first the, kingdom of God the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Is it true? Yes. Can you count on it? Yes. Like the law of gravity, like, right? Like any other thing that's been set in motion as surely as you seek first the kingdom of God, you can count on it. Amen. All these things are going to be added to you. And I mentioned Monday that even after Phyllis, my wife, and I had been in the ministry for a few years, I'd been to Raymond Bible Training Center, Brother Kenneth Hagin's ministry, and we're, I don't know, if we're five years into the ministry. Still real young, of course, but not just completely green. And have heard a lot of good teaching and preaching, and I believe in sowing and reaping. I believe in faith. I believe God's will is abundance. And yet, we got behind and got further behind year after year. <laughs> it's quiet in here, isn't it? I'm a preacher. And I believe these things and I preach these things. And yet, we're, we're short on this. We don't have enough for this. We're behind on this and stayed behind for months. And after a few years of that, somebody say a few years. a few years, 
I mentioned how that I came in one day and, and was in the house by myself and just fell across the bed and cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I, this is not your will. I know this is not your will. I know this. You're not doing this to us. I, I, I know enough about your word to know you are a God of abundance. We're supposed to have plenty. We're not supposed to be coming short like this. And, and Lord, help me. Whatever I need to see, whatever we need to do, whatever we need to change, whatever teaching and preaching and ministry you could bring to us or bring us to, whatever we need. And I cried out with all sincerity. And looking back now, I can see he heard my prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He heard my prayer. And it seemed like for the next five years, he was talking to me every day about these things about his will, about sowing and reaping and abundance and his plan and these things, and our life uh, changed. But the first thing that he took me to was this scripture, Matthew 6, 33. I knew it, had it marked, highlighted, and underlined. <laughs> but having something marked, highlighted, and underlined will not change your life. That's great, but that alone will not change your life. And the Lord spoke to him. I don't mean to heard a voice, but inside. He said, Keith, you are like many of my people. You know this verse, but you're not doing it. You're not practicing it. I kind of sat back in my chair. I thought, wow. I mean, we had left home, <laughs> gone into the ministry. We had made some sacrifices, but the Lord's right. If he says it, it's right. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it possible to seek first the kingdom and to do it and do it as a way of life and all these things not be added to you? Huh? Then, if these things are not being added to you, what can you deduce? <laughs> we are not, no matter what we might like to think, we are not seeking first the kingdom of God. And he began to talk to me and show me, and, and I began to realize I had, I had, I wanted this, and Phyllis wanted that, and we got this, and we got the other. We want to give too. But we did that first. Now we got all our finances obligated for that. Got ourselves in a place where we can't give like we want to. This is a trick of the enemy. He, he will tempt you to obligate yourself so that you get in that case. And when you do, you don't need to blame the devil. He didn't do it. All he did was wave the carrot. You did it. You wanted that. You got that house. You got that car. You did that thing. Hmm? And now with paying that or if you went in debt or if you're paying insurance or all these other things, now all your money is spoken for and obligated and you're not 
putting the kingdom first. All you got to do, all you got to do is look at your check stubs from last year. What percentage of your money did you spend on moi? (laughs) What percentage of your money went into seeking the kingdom and building the kingdom? It's an eye-opener. I said, it's an eye-opener. People like to talk big. They like to shout. They like to wave their hands and say, hallelujah. But when it comes down to actual spending and when you get some money and when you get paid, Christians, I'm not talking about unbelievers, Christians, church-going people, they buy this, they do that, they go here, they spend that, and then they show up at church and as an afterthought, what can I give? Well, that's, you, you violated the first principle of prosperity. And we took you then, the Lord took me to Haggai. Two little short chapters. And he dealt with me, read that. And I read it. Read it again. And I read it again. I mean over and over again. Read it again. Read it again. And finally, thank God, one day the light went off. And I wrote down beside the title of Haggai, I wrote down Matthew 6, 33. That's what this is about. Because it starts off saying, the people say, it's not time to build the Lord's house. And then the Lord said, is it time for you to dwell in your house? To build your house, your sealed houses, while my house lies waste. They didn't say they weren't going to build his house. What would they say? Not now. So what are we doing now? We can't do that now. What are we doing now? Our house. (laughs) Our house. And then he said, look, consider your ways. Look. When you sow, you're sowing a lot, but you're bringing in a little. And when you get paid, it's like your your pocket, your bag's got a hole in it. And you're losing it. Now, is everybody listening? Were they sowing? No. They were not. Huh? Oh, you got to go to Haggai, I guess. Back up. Back up. Just go to Matthew. Start backing up. Hmm? Haggai. They're just two chapters. Go to the first chapter. Haggai 1.5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. Haggai 1.5. Consider your ways. Check up. Look at your life. Look at what's going on. Look at what's been happening. Verse, verse 6. You have what? You have what? You have what? Well, if you sow much, you are going to reap much. You have sown much and what? Bring in little. Reaping is not automatic. And it is not guaranteed because you sow much that you will always reap much. (laughs) Hold your rocks. Hold your stones. Am I reading the Bible or not? Did they sow much? And what did they reap? 
Why didn't they reap much? They sowed much. <clears throat> oh, boy. Hmm? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Just, just, just hold. Is it possible to sow much and reap little? How can you deny it? They did. Why? Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring the wood, and build the house. What house? His house. And I'll take pleasure in it, and I'll be glorified. Here's the truth, and I believe this is one of the reasons why I'm standing in front of you today. It is possible to know faith principles and to know confession principles and to know sowing and reaping principles and even sow and even sow a lot and still experience lack. That's not a bizarre thing to say. All you got to do is look around. Are you with me? There's a lot of folks have sown quite a bit and they're not reaping half what they ought to be reaping. Hmm? What was the problem? Because they weren't seeking first the Lord's house. They were seeking abundant provision. They were seeking increase. They were seeking comfort and luxury. And God does want you to have all your needs met. It's already been provided. But you don't get God's abundance seeking abundance. You don't get God's abundance seeking prosperity. He didn't say seek ye first prosperity. Seek ye first abundance. Is seeking abundance the same thing as seeking the kingdom of God? It is not the same. It is not the same. Selah. <laughs> Chew on it. Huh? Right? And he went on to say in the rest of the second chapter there, he said, consider this. From the day, but when they heard that word, they responded to that word. And they quit just focusing on their house. And they went and started working on the Lord's house. And he said, you watch this. From the day you started working on my house, from that day, I will bless you. And he even went through again how that they had sown a lot and just got a little. And they had a big vineyard and got just a little bit out of it. He went through the scenario again. They were investing a lot, sowing a lot, but getting so little. But he said the turnaround is going to come because you stopped putting your stuff first and you begin to put my stuff first. It's one thing to talk about it and shout about it. It's another thing to actually do it.
And I, I went into some detail about how I just had a new car. I had a pickup that was just a couple of years old. And I realized the Lord doesn't care for me having these things. But my priorities are not right. My, I'm trying to act like I'm at a place I'm not there yet. I, I need to get the percentage of my, my, my kingdom giving and investment up in proportion to what I'm spending on me. Come on, are y'all with me or not? So I sold that car and I sold that truck and I rode with my wife and we quit eating out so much and we, we paid this off and instead of just jumping on something else, we gave more into the kingdom of God. Come on, do you see what I'm talking about? And we, we, we begin to be better partners with those God joy, putting in more, being on it like clockwork and our percentage. And we, we, we released our faith. Yes, we're going to tithe, but we're going to give a 5% offering. Then we're going to give a 10% offering. Then we're going to give a 20% offering. We're going to reach 33%. Hallelujah of our income. And then we said ownership is 51%. Is that right? How much do you want God in your business? Huh? Whoo. If you've never read it before, there, there's a, 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 the biography of Mr. R.G. Letourneau, who's considered the uh, uh, father of the modern-day bulldozer. And uh, he, he wanted to be a missionary. But God revealed to him that that wasn't his call. He's to be a businessman. And so he got into this uh, thing with heavy equipment, and uh, the Lord gave him the ideas. He'd give him ideas in the nighttime about how bulldozers are supposed to work. And his engine, he didn't go to uh, college, didn't have the degree like some of his engineers. They're stumped for weeks. He'd come in after a night and say, do this. And they'd look at it and go, that'll work. And so God just gave it to him. And then he got it in his heart, I'm not just going to tithe. I'm going to give God 90%. He got that in his heart. And before his life was over, he was giving. It went all the way from uh, him living on 90 and giving God 10 to him living on 10 and giving God 90%. And that included his business. I mean, he'd go down to a country and build roads and stuff and then just leave all this heavy equipment for the people. Just leave it there with them. So, I can't live on 10%. You can live great on 10% of $5 billion a year. <laughs> he was living like a king on 10%. It's 10% of what? <laughs> but what was the key? The key wasn't just the sowing. It wasn't just the confession. It wasn't just the faith principles. What was it? Putting the kingdom first in your heart, in your mind, in your words, in your life, with your money. Oh, come on. Can you see it, guys? Hallelujah. Uh, go with me to 1 Kings 4. Now we read in Matthew, the 6th chapter, it said, why, you go into 1 Kings. 
Why take thought for the raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Then he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Right before he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, he talks about Solomon. Right before he said that. And when the Bible says, when the Spirit of God says Solomon had all this glory, you better believe there was something remarkable and amazing about the life of Solomon. In fact, the scripture says, don't turn there, but 2 Chronicles 1.12, God told Solomon that he would have riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before you, neither shall there any after you have the like. Nobody's ever been as rich as Solomon, and they won't be either in this earth and in this life. Now that hasn't registered on us. I said that hasn't registered on us. People have heard it. We've read about it a little bit. But is it true? Uh, some of you are looking at me funny right now. I'm going to read it to you again. Second Chronicles 1.12. God said riches and wealth and honor will be given you such as none of the kings that have been on the earth before you. Neither shall there any after you have the like. How did the richest man on earth become the richest man on earth. How did that happen? How did it become? Do you know who wrote the blessing of the Lord? It maketh rich and he has no sorrow with it. <laughs> the first verse of that book says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David. Hmm? So if you asked him, how'd that happen, King Solomon? He'd tell you the blessing of the Lord did this. We, we need a refresher. You got, you got a few minutes? Well, you don't have many minutes. Go to uh, 1 Kings 4. 1 Kings 4. I know I've said a couple of things that jarred you a little bit, but that's okay. That's all right. You know, if you can't, you can't just swallow it immediately, could mean it's a good steak. Right? Just have to chew on it a little bit. Chew on it some. <laughs> Look at your neighbor, help him out, say, chew on it. Just, just chew on it. Don't, uh, don't spit it out, just, just chew on it. 1 Kings 4.1, I want, I want us just to refresh ourselves just a little bit. Right before he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, not, not many verses before that, he, he talked about Solomon in all his glory. Verse 1, chapter 4, 1 Kings. King Solomon was king over all Israel. Skip down to verse 20. Judah and Israel were many, as the sea which is by the 
uh, excuse me, the sand which is by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and making merry. When all the people have plenty to eat and everything's good throughout the whole country, something's going on. Is that right? The blessing of the Lord is making rich, not just in the palace, throughout the whole country. Can you see it? And Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river of the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. They brought presents and they served Solomon all the days of his life. And Solomon's provision for how long? How long? One day was 30 measures of fine flour. That's about 200 bushel. For how long? And three score measures of meal. That's almost 400 bushels. That's a lot of cornbread. (laughs) Meal. It was meal. And how many steaks? No, not 10 steaks. 10 cows. 10 cows. Not not 10 T-bones. 10 fat oxen. And then 20 other oxen just pasture fed. (laughs) 30 cows a day. And how many sheep? 100 sheep. That's a lot of lamb chops. Beside the hearts and the roebucks and the deer and the fatted fowl. That's one day. How many like somebody come give you that check? Huh? How much money is this? Every, every day. Every day. (laughs) Verse 25. And it's not like the people were suffering because of this plenty in the palace, Judah and Israel dwelt safely. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. That means they had their own place. Everybody had their own place and their own trees and their own vineyards from Dan to Bathsheba all the days of Solomon. All the people had their own places. No, you didn't hear that. All the people. Am I reading it right or not? Judah and Israel dwelt safely. Every man. Everybody say every man. Under what? His vine. And under his fig tree. From Dan to Beersheba. That's the whole country. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots. 12,000 horsemen. You get upset because somebody's got four or five cars. And those officers provided, you don't, you don't, excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. The people outside, you're happy about it, I know you are. And, and the uh, officers provided victual for Sol- King Solomon and all that came to King Solomon's table, every man in his month, they lacked nothing. Oh, come on, somebody say they lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. And it's not that one group was, was living large and the other group starving to death. Uh-uh. Is God big enough to do it all? He's big enough to do it all. Everybody throughout the whole country had their own place, had their own stuff. They lived good. They lived safe. 
Everybody's needs were met. This happened again in the book of Acts. Right after the day of Pentecost, you remember that? Right after the day of Pentecost, thousands of people got saved. You remember what the Bible said? Everybody was given money and stuff was flowing like water. Is that right? And the Bible said that neither was there any among them that lacked. You're talking about thousands and thousands of people. And you couldn't find one man, one woman in the whole place that didn't have what they needed. This happened in the beginning days of the church. Why? How? <laughs> Go with me over to chapter, uh, let's see. And there's so much here. Chapter 9, I believe it is. Yeah, here it is. Chapter 9 and 10. First Kings, yeah, First Kings. I'm just, we're just hitting some highlights, you, you understand. First Kings 9, uh, 14, said Hiram sent on one occasion 120 talents of gold to Solomon. That's about $150 million. Then, in the ninth chapter and the 26th through the 28th verses, uh, they, they sent a navy and they came to Ophir and fetched some gold, 420 talents. Now, uh, the usual size of talent was about 75 pounds. Uh, some say 100 pounds. And so I'm using the smaller one in my calculations. But we're talking about a 75-pound chunk of gold. <laughs> and they had how many of them? 420. That's about $550 million. He, he just he mentions a couple of things that happened. And in 1 Kings 10, are you there? 1 Kings 10, you really get a snapshot of what was going on with him and his life when the Queen of Sheba showed up for a visit one day. Huh? Come on, we, we're going to read some verses. Are you with me? Chapter 10, verse 1. When the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon... Concerning the name of the Lord. She, she came to prove him with hard questions. Didn't say she came because she heard about the money. She heard about the Lord. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train and camels that bear spices and very much gold. Now, you, you almost shake your head on this one. But you keep seeing it over and over and over again. This man, Solomon, is a multi-multi-billionaire. And guess what people keep doing? They just keep bringing him loads of money. Why would you keep bringing money to somebody that's got all this money? Something is bringing it to him. Something is adding it to him. There is an there influence and there is a force that's causing it to be added to him. Solomon's not adding all this to himself. The Lord's the one told him way back, he said, I'm going to cause wealth and riches and honor like no king before you's ever had and like no king after you's going to have. 
So it wasn't, this wasn't just out of the blue, and it wasn't Solomon doing this. The queen of Sheba at home, where she was, got it on her heart. I got to go see this man, and I got to bring him a bunch of money. I got to bring him a bunch of money. And this was happening all over the place. People would just get to thinking, I got to go see him, and I got to bring him a bunch of money. That's not natural. (laughs) That's not natural. That's divine influence at work. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. Oh, keep on, keep on. Very great train, camels that bear spices. Very much gold, precious stones. When she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. That's the main reason she was there. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit because I don't have enough time to get too deep into these things. But the Lord gave me a very simplistic definition of wisdom yesterday. Hallelujah. And I saw a scripture for it. Place here and place there. It's very simple. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is knowing what to do. That's it. Knowing what to do. And the wisdom of God is knowing what God wants you to do. Hallelujah. Knowing what he is doing. What he wants to do in the earth. What he wants done. What he wants you to do is your part of it. And nothing is more precious and valuable than that. Amen. Hmm? That's what Proverbs talks about. The Solomon again. Uh, wisdom is the principal thing. One, one verse says, one translation said, it is the first thing. And what is the beginning of wisdom? The beginning of wisdom is Yes, but that's not what that verse said right there. The beginning of wisdom is, I'm paraphrasing now, I got to get me some wisdom. (laughs) That's where wisdom begins. Read some other translation of that verse and you'll see what I'm talking about. It says that. The beginning of wisdom is get the wisdom. To have enough understanding to know, that's the main thing. Which is saying what? What is wisdom? Knowing. The main thing I need to know on this earth is what I need to be doing. What God wants me to do. And how am I going to seek first the kingdom of God? And I don't know what that is. I don't know what he wants me to do. That's the most precious thing. And that's why she came to see him. And... When the queen of, verse 3, he told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he built. What did she see first? The wisdom. Then she saw the house. She wouldn't have seen, she wouldn't have seen the house except she came to hear the wisdom. And she saw the meat of his table. We just got through reading about that. And the sitting of his servants. And the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and the ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. Some translations say it took her breath away. It took whose breath away? The queen. She's a queen. She's seen some stuff before. Is that right? 
but she has never seen anything like this. And that's what the Lord told Solomon. Nobody before you has had this, and nobody's going to be on this like this again as a king. And she looked at it, and it just it, it took her breath. What took her breath? Now, if God is disgusted by excess of gold and luxury, why in the world would he put all this in here? Because we could get the wrong idea. I mean, what did, what did he say? And God was disgusted with this lavish excess. They, they didn't gold leaf stuff. No gold leaf. When they say gold cup, the whole cup is solid gold. Solid gold. And everything. Let's keep reading. Keep reading. She said, the report I heard in my own land about your acts and your wisdom I didn't believe it till I came, verse 7, and my eyes saw it, and behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity, somebody say wisdom and prosperity. Do they go together? Exceeds the fame which I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are these your servants which stand continually before you and they hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God which delights in you to set you on the throne of Israel before the Lord loved, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Verse 10, and so she did what? Gave the king 120 75-pound chunks or 100-pound chunks, depending on what you're talking about. Gave him a bunch more gold, not like he didn't have any. And all these spices and the navy of Hiram brought gold from Ophir. Ophir was the most pure gold you could get in that day. And they brought it in from Ophir and Almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the Almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord, for the king's house, harps for the singers. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all her desire, gave her of his royal bounty. He turned and she went back to her own country. Verse 14, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon when? In one year was what? 660 and six talents 75-pound chunks of gold. How much is that? That's right about a billion. Right about a billion. Every year. And that's just, that's just from one channel. Verse 15, besides that, that he had other merchantmen and the traffic and the spice merchants and it goes on to say, verse 18, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. Now, you ain't never seen a throne like that. It was solid ivory. Then it was overlaid with solid gold. Why would the Lord put all this in here? Why would he want us to see this? The Bible tells us that the things were written for us are written to, for us to learn and to be encouraged and give us hope. You're supposed to read this and get hope. 
You're supposed to read this and go, well, if God give him all that, why can't I come up a notch or three or ten? Come on, are you with me? That's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to read this and get comforted and get encouraged and come up with some expectation of good. That's what hope means. Oh, my. Oh, my. And verse, uh, it went on to say, he had two lions uh, beside the throne and 12 lions. On the one side, and there were six steps that went up. There was not the like made in any kingdom. And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. None were silver. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. They had so much gold until nobody messed with silver. <laughs> oh, that's just silver. No, we don't need any more silver. Thanks. Just gold. <laughs> Verse 23, so King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And what did they do when they showed up? They brought every man his present. Vessels of silver, vessels of gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, mules, at a rate year by year. And he gathered them up. Verse 27, the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. Now, does the Bible exaggerate or not? There were so many 75-pound chunks of silver in Jerusalem. They were like rocks. Is this an exaggeration or not? And the cedars made he to be as sycamore trees that were in the vale. Oh, somebody say, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I be- Do you believe it? Now, you need to brace yourself. I said you need to brace yourself right now for what I'm going to tell you now. This is riches. I, I think I can safely say none of us have seen anything like this. That's right. That's right. Inexperience. I mean, you know how he started off his, his uh, kingdom? David had been preparing for the construction of the temple. And he had about eight or nine billion in gold he personally put into the treasury. And then he brought about another, I don't know, 90 billion from the other elders. That's how he started the thing off. And we got a billion in gold coming from this one channel every year. I mean, how much are we talking about? We don't know. It is off the chart. Riches. We, we haven't begun to have this kind of idea. But are, is everybody awake? Is everybody listening? He didn't ask for any of it. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for any of this. This wealth I'm talking about. True or not? 
Was he seeking to be the richest man on the planet? No, he was not. He wasn't seeking for this. Go to 1 Kings 3. Let me remind you of what he was seeking after. First Kings 3. Verse 3. First Kings 3 and 3. Solomon loved the Lord. Now I know if you read later on, he got messed up with a bunch of idolatrous wives and he got off, but that was decades later. Right now, when you're reading about him, he is head over heels, totally consumed, with loving his God. That's where he is. And the Bible said the Lord loved him. More than one place it says the Lord loved Solomon. And he went and offered, verse 4, a thousand burnt offerings on an altar. And verse 5, in Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, ask what I shall give you. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Ask what do you want me. To give you. Blank check. What you want from me. And Solomon said. You've showed to your servant David. My father great mercy. You kept your great kindness. You've given him a son to sit on his throne. Talking about himself. And now Lord. You've made your servant king instead of David, my father. I'm just a little child. I, I don't know how to go out or come in. And your servant's in the midst of your people that you've chosen, a great people that can't be numbered or counted for multitude. Give, therefore, your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and bad for who's able to judge this so great a people. If you read Chronicles, he said he asked for wisdom and understanding. What is wisdom? Come on, help me out. It's simple. What is it? He wants to know what to do as king, not for himself. He wants to know what God wants him to do. Come on, can you see this? He wants to know, God, what do you want us as your people to be and do? What, you, what do you want me to do in leading them? What? Friend, this is worth more than all the trillions you could ever come up. Come on, are you with me? Knowing this is worth more than anything else. In every situation that arises in your life, what's the first thing? You need to know, what do I do about this? What do I do? And he asked the Lord. And what did the Lord say? The speech pleased the Lord. That Solomon had asked this thing. Verse 11. And God said to him. Because you have asked this thing. And have not asked for yourself. Long life. Long life is the will of God. But it's not the will of God. That that be your main objective. (laughs) Neither have asked riches for yourself. So Solomon didn't ask. For all those riches. Did he? God himself said you didn't ask for it. Nor have asked the life of your enemies. But you have asked for yourself. Understanding to discern judgment. Like I said Chronicles says wisdom and understanding. Behold I have done according to your words. 
Lo, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there was none like you before you, neither after you shall any arise like unto you. And I have also given you. Is everybody reading verse 13? And I've also given you that which you have not asked. Both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like to you all your days. Does this or does this not sound just like Matthew 6, 33? Seek ye first the money, the stuff, the house. No, that's what the Gentiles are seeking after. And he said, you don't do that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you're seeking that, you're going to find what God wants to do in his kingdom. What is in his kingdom and his things. And what did he say? All these things are going to be these things you're not seeking after that the world's trying to get, I'm going to add them to you. I'm going to add. Did he add them to Solomon? Now get this, friends. Get this, friends. You know what the first thing Solomon did after he became king? The very first thing. He built the house of God. He built the house of God for seven years. They had like a hundred thousand workers working all the time. They spent money like it was water, brother. I mean, everything in there was solid gold. You've read about it, right? Read the chapters of everything in there. is solid gold just about. And for these seven, somebody say seven years, seven years. Now, it wasn't just seven years. It was the first seven years of his reign. The first seven years of his reign. And they spent scores and scores and scores of billions of dollars building the Lord's house. And then, you can read the scriptures for yourself. I'm out of time here, but... Then it says, after he finished building the Lord's house and all the work for the Lord's house, then he built his house. Then he built his house. Proverbs says, prepare your work without. Afterwards, build your house. Oh, friend, this is the key. The master key. To God's prosperity. You can know faith principles. You can know about sowing and reaping. But if you don't get this right. You can sow a lot. And come up with a little. Because living this life. Is not just about having a bunch of stuff. Hmm? Heard some Bible school students one time. They were uh, where I was. They were, they were talking about some things. I, I overheard them. They were talking loud. And, and one of them was talking about all the stuff he had had. Actually, just kind of bragging. And it was a little irritating. And, and the other, uh, one of the other young guys finally spoke up. He said, well, so what? He said, your pile of ashes will be bigger than mine. <laughs> your pile of ashes. Is it all going to melt with fervent heat? Nobody's going to take any of it with you. 
having a bunch of stuff. Thank God for having everything you need. But having a bunch of stuff and a bunch of money doesn't make you anybody. Doesn't make you anything in the kingdom. We don't know how you got that. Oh, but friend, when you got a vision to do what God wants you to do and you don't care how much it costs. Come on, are you listening to me? You are willing to do this thing on the highest level that it's been done. Money will flow to you like water. Come on, are you listening? People will get it on their heart. They got to help you. They got to support you. They will come. And it's not to make you a fat cat. It's to get you in the accomplishing what the will of God, the wisdom of God that you got to do it. The Lord said, what, what is the house of the Lord? The scripture said, the church of the living God is the house of God. Hallelujah. And the Lord said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail. Oh, friend, when we get up in the morning, we need to be seeking the Lord. What do you want me to do? Come on, think about a man who is a super rich guy. I mean, multi-billionaire, trillionaire. And he's got a bunch of kids. And most of his kids, growing up with this proverbial spoon in their mouth, all they want to do is sleep in late and party. And a lot of them just gripe because they want more. And they just gripe because they want more. But he's got a few kids. Every morning, they show up bright and early. Daddy, what do you need? What do you need, Daddy? I know you got businesses. You got things going on. What you need me to do, Daddy? I'm here. Is that going to touch the Father's heart? Who's going to, who is he going to hand things over to? Huh? Who? The ones that don't care, party all the time, grind and complain all the time, or somebody that's got his interests always at heart and in mind. Hallelujah. And if you get up and thinking about it and you go back to bed thinking about it, what do you want done in this earth, Lord? What do you want done in my town? What do you want done in our church? What do you want done? What do you want accomplished? What is your plan? What is your will? How can we build your house? Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, I can have a house. I can have a car. We're going to build my house later after we get this done. Come on, can you see this? Then you won't have to struggle and seek for it. God, at the right time, is going to add it to you. It's, just, it's going to come to you. Hallelujah. Without you struggling. Without you sorrowing. Why? Because you're giving yourself to seek the kingdom of God. Oh, can you say amen, everybody? Stand on your feet, please. Hallelujah. Yeah, there we go. Isn't, he, isn't that so good? I was reminded just as he was finishing up there about a few weeks ago, Mrs. Moore had the graph. She talked about being on the path. And if you're on the path, you encounter what's on that path because you're on the path. It's there for us. It's just there. All we got to do is stay on it and do what God says. That's so good. Um, altar care workers, come forward. And then uh, it's been good tonight, hasn't it? The Lord, aren't we so glad? The Lord loves us and called us to be a part and Learn these things that will help us help others to know how good God is. Well, all right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna be dismissed, and uh, but before we do that, 
You know, we don't know who watched with us tonight. And they may not know, or there may be somebody here that doesn't know that good God. He still wants you to know Him. He gave His very life for you. So um, let's do this. Let's all bow our heads and raise our hand. And if you're here or if you're on the Internet and you don't know Jesus, you can. So let's all say this together and let's uh, affirm or reaffirm our faith. Say Say this after me. Father God, I choose to believe in you. I choose to believe that what you said is is truth. I I believe that Jesus came, gave his life for me so that I could live. So I confess him with my mouth, believe in my heart and say Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Get me on that path so that I can experience and fulfill all that you have for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Lord. Now, there's a number on the screen as we dismiss. If, if you're on the Internet you and uh, this is your first time you've ever come to know the Lord, welcome. And if you uh, came back to the Lord, good to have you back. And if you want to call somebody, there'll be people here on the phones. Anybody in this crowd, uh, you have a question or anything about that or any of that? These fine folks up here can help you. They have answers. They know what to do in these situations. They have wisdom from God. So they're going to sing a song. We're going we're gonna to be dismissed. And so when we go out, y'all come down if you want to ask them a question. And then Sunday morning, 9 o'clock here. Had to think for a minute. Where are we? 9 o'clock here. And uh, it'll be good, won't it? Love y'all. Y'all ready? Sing on.